Good morning, everyone. Just want to say thanks to Rick for his hard work today. It's a, a double header when you're both preaching the lesson and teaching the Bible class, getting a little bit of a break now. Uh, he did a great job, and we're really thankful for Rick and his leadership and his effort. One of the things that I laugh about with Rick, and he was just doing it, he'll show you too if, if you wanted to see it, but you could see his hands that were, that were shaking sort of after the lesson, before the lesson even really, after the lesson, and now I think hopefully they're calming down after Bible class is over with, you're good now. I saw him showing some people, look, they're, go they're all good now. I said, well, okay, now mine are doing it. Okay, here we go. And it actually reminded me of, of what I was thinking about to start off this lesson is one of our great fears as people. As people, sometimes we have, we have fears, we're afraid of things, and maybe for you, you have a fear of getting up in front of people and speaking in public. I don't know if you're like that, you have that fear. I'm, obviously, I, I'm up here, but I'm also afraid of it too. I mean, there's, everyone kind of gets nervous when they get up in front of people, and some people more you know, deathly afraid of public speaking than others, for sure. But I think it speaks to us in a way that, that kind of strikes an internal nerve when we start thinking about people looking at us. People looking at us. I'm married to a person who wants nobody to look at her. <laughs> now you're going to look at her, so that's, that's the worst part about that. You know, I, we have these introverts and extroverts. We have people who, like, just thrive when they're around other people. We have others who just shrink away and can't handle really being around too many people all at the same time. And I'm sure we have a mix of those people all in the room today, this morning. I think sometimes, though, we are afraid to stand out. We are afraid to be different. We are afraid to go against the grain or against the stream. And I think for good reason. I think we are built in a way that it's comfortable for us to want to be accepted by people, to want to be in the in crowd. We don't want to be out there. We want to be in there. We want to be with everyone else. We want to be sort of flying under the radar. We don't want people to exclude us or to think of us as weird, or we don't want people to point at us and laugh at us in the worst possible scenario, maybe. And I think it's natural for us not to want to be singled out as being different. And so sometimes we blend in. You know, in high school, I can remember really facing that pull to blend in with my peers and people around me. And it, it doesn't really change that much as you leave high school and you go out into the world and enter college and enter the workforce. You still don't want to stand out. I talked about in my last lesson not wanting to fail. And I think here in this lesson, thinking about not wanting to stand out, not wanting to be different, and so sometimes it is easy for us, physically speaking, in this world to blend in. But spiritually speaking, I think we face a big problem when we find ourselves getting too close to the world. James, in James chapter 4, verse 4, says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I think what James is really talking about here is us making the choice to stand out and be different from the world. 
to stand out against the world, not to be a friend of the world, not to be too much like the world, not to try to blend in with the world. James is making it very clear that if we want a relationship with God, if we want to be a friend of God, we cannot be a friend of the world. We cannot be a friend of the world if we are trying to also be a friend of God. Those two things are mutually exclusive. They are polar opposites from each other. You cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You have to make a choice. And for us, I think it's really important for us to see that once we decide to be a friend of God's, we are going to stand out in the world in which we live. And as the world looks at us, as the world looks at us and they see our lives, they see the things that we believe, the things that we do, and the people that we spend our time with, they are going to point at us and think that we have failed. In my last lesson, I talked about how Jesus failed, intentionally failed the Pharisees and religious leaders' test. He came into the world, he came into a society, into a culture of Jews who he intentionally went against the grain for. That I'm not one of you. I'm not one of you religious, pious, holier-than-thou people who are clean on the outside and dirty on the inside. I'm clean all the way through. I'm different, not like you. And as we go out into the world, as we go out into what the Bible, what the New Testament often refers to as a Gentile nation, as a, as a Greek nation, as the world, as James just referred to it, Whenever you're reading through the Bible, whenever you're reading through especially the New Testament and you find a reference to Gentiles, Greeks, or the world, what they're saying is you're out in the middle of people who are not religious, who are not God-fearing, and that's basically our day-to-day -day existence, is it not? When you go to work, when you step out your door and, and talk to your neighbors, generally speaking, wherever you go, you are in the world and you need to make a choice. Are you going to be okay with the world looking at you as a failure? Jesus was okay with people thinking he was a failure. Are you going to be okay with the world looking at you, thinking you are different, you are strange, you are making poor decisions? Are you going to be okay with that? Because that is really the, the countercultural calling that Christ has called us to. Jesus calls us to, in the world, be a failure to them. And we need to be okay with that. Because if we want to have a relationship with God, while we are still wanting to please the world around us and be just like the world around us, those two things, as James talks about, those two things can't happen at the same time. And so I want to talk for a few minutes this morning, as we thought about a month ago, we thought about Jesus and the way that he failed in the religious society that he was in, I want us to take on the charge now this morning to fail purposefully and intentionally in the Gentile, in the Greek, in the unbelieving world in which we live. And that's really what I want to talk about. And the first thing that I want to consider here is this big idea of the lesson that when we resolve to be a failure in the world's eyes, it is truly worth it. When we are a success, when we are victorious, in God's eyes. We just sang that song, there is victory in Jesus. Is there not? We have victory in Jesus. When we follow Christ, we are truly victorious. 
even though as we follow Christ, the world is going to look at us like we are abject failures. So who are you going to believe? Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to your neighbors and your coworkers and all of the, the advice and self-help books that exist out there on the market? Are you going to listen to everyone else who's telling you what the definition of true success and happiness are? Or are you going to listen to Jesus Christ who lays out the narrow path that actually leads to life and happiness? So I want to think about that together this morning. We have failed beliefs. And I say, of course, all of this in terms of, you know, quote, unquote, as the world considers it, we have failed beliefs. We know our beliefs are not a failure. We know that what we believe is true and correct and right if we follow the Lord, if we follow his will. But we, as the world would consider it, we have failed beliefs. We're not following the right things. We don't believe the right things according to the world. And that is by design. And as Gary read in our scripture reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's really helpful for us to go and consider from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 yet again. Because as we promote God's word, and this is one of the things that I really appreciate about Rick's lesson, we need to get into God's word. We need to promote God's word. This book is the solution for the world's lost state and condition. We need to promote God's word, but we also need to understand that the world thinks this is hogwash. The world thinks this is foolishness. Everything in this book, the world looks at with their worldly nature and their worldly mindset, and they think this is ridiculous. And we need to accept that. Because that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That is exactly where Paul was going here when he says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I, I just want us to be clear, and maybe this is an offensive thing for you to think about, and, and that's okay. Do you realize how ridiculous the Bible is sometimes? If you're thinking of it from the wrong standpoint, I just want to, uh, to use an example. In our, in our Bible study from Exodus and for the kids in my class, we were talking about this just, just on Wednesday night. You remember that story about how Moses is standing up there at the battle against the Amalekites, right? And what is he doing with his arms? He's got them raised in the air. Now, you obviously know, of course, you know, given our military expertise here as the United States of America, that we get our four-star generals out there on the battlefield, and they raise their arms the whole battle, right? We don't need to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on all kinds of, of you know, weapons and defense mechanisms. All we do is make our important people stand up there with their arms raised, and the battle is won, right? Ridiculous. God, through his wisdom, shows us just how foolish we really are. He does this so that we can know for sure that it is not our power. He does this for sure so that we can be absolutely convinced that he's in charge, not us. Because no one in their right mind would say, this is going to win the battle. But it did because God was in charge. God was behind it all. 
And I want us to see, I want us to just get very clear that the Bible is full of very foolish things when you bring it to the world. When you start introducing these concepts and these ideas to the world, of course, there's going to be a barrier that needs to be broken through. And Jesus taught in parables, in stories, in hidden and sort of veiled meanings on purpose so that the people who thought they knew everything would miss the point completely. He did it on purpose. And we need to understand that as the world looks at us and they see that we are coming to a building with a bunch of people dressed nicely on a Sunday and they see that the things that we do, the places we go, all the, all the activities that we involve ourselves in, they are going to think that we are foolish, and especially considering that we believe in a man who had no particular important stature in his political society in which he lived and who was put on a cross to die, that we believe that man is actually the son of God who created the whole world. It sounds a little ridiculous to the world. I, I can see that. But as the world thinks that we believe foolish things, you just need to be okay knowing that that's what they're thinking about you. Because to them, we do. And Paul admitted that very, very clearly. We are also, in our belief system and the things that we trust in, we are also not a people who run around worried about everything. And, and I'm speaking sort of aspirationally here that we are not worried because I know there are people here in this room who do get worried and who are anxious about things. But as I go again back to Matthew chapter 6, as I think about Jesus and his great Sermon on the Mount telling us not to be anxious about our life, what we'll eat or what we'll drink or about our body, what we'll put on, and he goes on to talk about how there's much more to life than just these daily cares and concerns. And as you turn on the TV and you see all the things that you can be worried about, you see the... the portfolio that you have sort of maybe going down. You see the prices of gas going up. You see all the wars and all the things going on. And, 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 and a lesser person, a worldly-minded person, would be willing and, and given to throw up their hands and say, everything is doomed, everything is gloomy, and I'm just, there's nothing to be happier or excited about. And all of us look and, and we see and truly believe that in faith we realize God is always in charge. And God will always provide. And we don't need to be worried the way that people are worried in this world. We don't need to be concerned about the things that the Gentiles are concerned about. They're so worried. The world is so worried about everything that's going on today. And you know what? Not to put my head in the sand, not to think that none of this is important, because I know that's what people think of us as Christians. But I frankly don't care, because I know who's in charge. We know who is truly in charge, and we know who blesses us every day more than we can possibly think or imagine. So what is there for me to be worried about? As a Christian, as believers in Jesus, as people who live by faith, we don't have to worry about the things that other people worry about. And so they're going to look at us as a failure. And I just wonder if we're all okay with that. Are we okay with people thinking that we have a failed belief system? Are we okay when we look online and we see all kinds of articles and all kinds of things about how Christianity is ridiculous and backward? Are we okay looking at that and saying, I see what you're saying, 
I can understand where you're coming from, but I believe. And standing strong in our confidence with the Lord. Because that is, I think, what Rick was talking about at nearing the end of his lesson, about how people look at what God wants them to do, at the things God has called us to in this life, and they reject it because they don't value it. And if we value the Lord our God, if we value a relationship with him, we will reject a friendship with the world. And we will draw closer and closer to him. We will believe the things that he has called us to believe, no matter what the world says about us. We just need to be okay with that. And I hope we are. I think we are. You know, I know that as the world gets darker and darker, as the world sinks deeper and deeper in sin, we are going to shine like lights brighter and brighter than we ever have. And so maybe we should all get a little bit comfortable standing up and having everyone looking at us. Because the world will as they get darker and darker. But also, I think, as we did in our, our study about Jesus, we also are viewed by the world as having failed actions. It's not just the things that we believe. It's the things that we do. The things that we do, the choices we make, the places we go, all of the ways that we live our lives, the actions of our life to the world look like a failure. Do you realize how much time you're wasting right now? You know right now you could be camping. I would love to be camping. Not more than I want to be here, but I would love to be camping. The world would love to be fishing right now. You could be fishing right now. You don't have to sit and listen to me. I mean, you could, literally, right now, you could be doing all the favorite things that you'd love to do. I think there's probably a football game on. You could probably be watching that. The things we do, as the world considers them, even right now, today, look like a failure to the world because we, we are not self-indulgent. We realize, we truly believe that this world is not our home. We sing that song. And we truly believe that that's true, that we are not at home here. This is not a place where we want to stay, where we want to live for all eternity. This world is not our home. And that is exactly what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And I think it's important, as this ties into even our Bible study this morning, from the Old Testament, how the Lord God calls his people a chosen race, these priests who he's called. Well, that is exactly what we see here, even for us today. First Peter chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are sojourners. We're backpackers. We're, we're just traveling along through this life, going somewhere else. This world is not our home. And because of that, for that reason, because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, we keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. We do good and right things. Not just to be seen by people, 
but so that when people see us, they can glorify God. You get that from this verse. We're not putting on a show. This is not a dog and pony. This is not parading ourselves around. This is not performative Christianity. This is who we are and what we do. And if people see that, when people see that, they will glorify God. And that's important because it is very easy for us to try to cultivate this world as our home. We all have very strong nesting instincts. Well, some of us have very strong nesting instincts. I think a lot of us do you know, in different ways, but I think a lot of us want to create a welcoming and comfortable environment for us to be in here on this earth. You know, I, I, I'm not looking to Pinterest for, for all the amazing things around my house. Pinterest is looking for my house for inspiration, right? That's not really true. I just, you know, for some of us, though, we really want, like, to create a space and to make it an experience, right? But this world isn't our home. We've got a really, really nice tent, maybe. The Lord has blessed us with, a, with an amazing sleeping bag. <laughs> but that's all it is. We're just passing through. And so we don't get involved in all the petty little, dis, you know, things that are going on. I was in thinking about um, thinking about the hurricane that was just happening. I was telling Michelle the other night that we, when I was a kid, we were in Florida for a while, and we were at Disney World. We were having a fun time, and you know, we're just this was like before the days of an internet in your pocket and all these things. And like we were on our way to the to the airport, and you know, there's a lot of rain and wind and all sorts of stuff is going on. And I'm like, you know, we can't hardly, remember that, like we couldn't hardly see the road and we thought we were going to die. It was terrible. And we made it to the airport and we actually were able to fly out and we didn't really think anything of it. And when we landed, we realized that was Hurricane Andrew. Like we were right in the middle of it. And you know why? We didn't really care so much about it is because we were at Disney World. <laughs> like we were just passing through. And I don't get too involved and caught up in the cares of whatever's going on in a city I'm visiting. I'm just there to pass through for a little while. You know, I'm heading home. Let me get home. And for a lot of us, I think we get so worried and caught up in just the things as we are passing through this life. You know, just treat it like Disney World. And sometime, someday you're actually going to go home where you actually live and want to be for all eternity. The Lord will bless us in this life. The Lord will, as we already talked about, take care of our daily needs. He will watch over us. He will comfort us. He will give us this church in unity to support each other and love each other. But at the end of the day, I want to be in heaven and not here. And I don't need to be so caught up in what's going on every day here on this earth because this world is not my home, and I live like that. But this is maybe where I'm going to lose some of you, I know. We also welcome suffering. The world is going to look at us because we're not out at the... At, at, you know, doing all the fun things. The world is going to look at us that we're not, you know, spending our nights getting all inebriated and intoxicated and whatever else. You know, we're not filling our life with all kinds of, of distractions. The world is going to look at us and they are going to mock us. They're going to think that it's strange that we do not follow along with them, as 1 Peter 4, chat, 1 Peter 4 talks about. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices 
for doing what the Gentiles want to do. I left off the want to do there. But what the Gentiles want to do, we've had plenty of time to do that. We've had plenty of time to live like the world. And now it is time for us to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. We need to be ready and willing to suffer. And I love that term, arm yourself. You know, military thinking, you know, putting on your, your, your army hat or your, your service hat. You know, think about arming yourself, getting ready for something. This is like you wake up in the morning and you are ready to go to suffer, like Jesus suffered. You have you've prepared yourself, you've steeled yourself, you've got your weapons ready to go so that the world can attack you. And you're okay with that. You're okay when the world looks at you and sees that you are making, well, really bad choices in their eyes. Because they are going to be surprised, as he goes on to talk about here, they will be surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The world is going to look at us and they are going to be shocked that we don't do the same things that they do. Think about the same things that they think about. Participate in the same kinds of discourse that they participate in. They are going to look at us and they are going to think we are weird and backward and that we've got our heads buried in the sand and that why on earth aren't we out there just living up this life and having fun and doing what makes us feel good and they're going to mock us for it. Here's one thing that I think is important for us to all just remember. You know, we're not the center of our lives. It's hard for the world who is so self-centric and who thinks so highly of themselves. If you want to know a good example of that, just watch how many times you see people like doing the selfies of themselves all the time, right? Sometimes, you know, go ask Jason about the story. There's a story about a bunch of girls doing selfies all throughout a football game. It's, it's embarrassing how much our people today, how much the world thinks of themselves, right? Everyone around us is so self-centric. And as we act selflessly in this world, as we take action for other people, and we sacrifice our time and our energy and our emotional baggage, and we put it all on the line so that we can help other people, as we sacrifice for others, we are going to stand out as being very different. And people may even mock us for that and think that we're backward. But it's OK, because you know who else suffered in that way? You know, who else, you know who else gave up everything for everyone else around him? It was Jesus. So arm yourself with that same way of thinking. So again, not only are our beliefs backward to the world, not only are our actions backward to the world, but the associations that we have, the people who we connect with, the people who we approach, the people we spend our time with, well, that looks like a failure too to the world. That looks like a failure to the world because so often we, we let love take care of the work that needs to be taken care of. We are not so distracted and caught up in, in politics and you know, social reform and social justice and all the things where we look around and we say, well, we need laws to fix these problems. We need, we need the government to step in and make decisions for us. And we need all of these things to be different. No, we understand that the true solution for all of man's problems is a love of Jesus Christ 
and that will solve all the world's problems. And again, it may seem simplistic. The world's going to look at this lesson, maybe online at some point, and they're going to be like, well, I, I, yes, but. But it's important that we have laws, and it's important that the government steps in, and it's important that we do all these other things. But yes, if everyone loves Jesus the way they should, we don't have any problems. And I understand who can truly fix the situation in the world. Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, where Paul says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What is he talking about when he says here, by the way? He's talking about in the church. Yeah, right there, right in the pew, right? When everyone is part of the church of the Lord Jesus, there is unity. There's peace. There's harmony. Why? Why is it that way? Put on, then, as he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. How do we have such harmony? Because we're acting that way, all of us, every one of us. We are all acting with meekness and humility and care and compassion and forgiveness toward each other. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I believe that. I do not believe that we can enact a set of laws to fix the, the problems in the world. I don't believe that we can elect the right person to fix the world's problems. What I believe is that if everyone knows Jesus and everyone follows him, and if everyone is a part of his church, then and only then we will have true harmony. And I know and I'm convinced, as Jesus said, that will never happen. Because the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many people who walk on that broad road. The only way and I believe this firmly, the only way for us to, to draw people closer to each other, to have the kind of connection with each other that we have here at this church, that churches all over this great country and throughout the world have with each other, the only way to have that kind of unity is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way we establish that kind of unity. And I am willing to let love take care of that. I am willing to let the love of Jesus help us to draw closer to each other. And we show the world that together as a church. We show the world what love can really do. And as we draw closer to each other, people of all kinds of different backgrounds, economic situations, you know, you go into churches all across the world and you see the great diversity of God's people. Right? There are people here who have more money than my eyeballs have ever seen, and there are probably people here who have, who have less money than I've maybe ever had. There are people here who, who have experienced great trauma and difficulty and struggle throughout their life, and there are people who've probably never even had one little iota of, of struggle throughout their life. I, you know, there are people here who should not naturally be together as, as a people, right? Like, if you just got all of us together, you know, we were all kind of wandering around a football field together, and, you know, we wouldn't just naturally all, like, find ourselves in the center at the, 
at the 50-yard line, like we wouldn't all just naturally come together, our natural tendency as people is to, to scatter apart. But as the church, we have such unity because the Lord Jesus is in charge. And so we draw closer to each other that way. But we also offer good news to all, and I think that's the point I want to leave in this lesson. We offer good news to all. And the all there, I think, is really important because the all is what Paul is focused on in the book of Romans in chapter 1. The all there is where Paul is really trying to break down barriers and borders when he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed for faith, from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I know a lot of times we go to this passage and we talk about how Paul is not ashamed. And we need to not be ashamed in the world. That really is the point of this part of the lesson as well. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. But notice how it's sort of sandwiched in, that ashamed part of this, this verse. Notice that, that at the beginning of it and at the end of it, he is talking about diversity. He is talking about prejudice. He is talking about breaking down the things that would disconnect us. And when God breaks down a wall, I better not build it back up. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to all. And it is good news to all. And so I have no problem going to preach to anyone or getting close in the Lord's church to anyone who believes that Jesus is above all. I have no problem extending the gospel to a lost and dying world, no matter who they are, because everyone needs Jesus. And I believe that. But as the world looks at us in their nationalistic, sort of segregationalist kind of prejudice attitude that they have sometimes, they see that as ignorant, and they see that as backward. They see that as just putting my head in the sand. And I am not going to be the kind of person who rejects talking to somebody because they're on the other side of that line on the ground. I'm never going to be the kind of person who rejects talking to somebody because they practice that thing over there, or they think that they are, you know, supposed to be allowed to practice this thing or that thing. The gospel is for all people in sin, as well as those people who are living a fairly moral life who are still away from the Lord. It's for all. And I need to be willing to break down my prejudices to go to, to the lost of all the world. But the world's going to look at that, and they're not going to understand it. They're not going to understand it. And so in all these things, I think, you know, as we really just start to step back and we start to realize that following Jesus, we will adopt, we will become a failure in the eyes of the world. Jesus was a failure in the eyes of the religious people that he lived amongst. We are going to be a failure in the eyes of the world in which we live. It's just going to happen. Are you okay with that? Are you okay going into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people at the grocery store? You're okay standing out. You're okay shining a light in the darkness in which you live and having people look at you, not so that you could hold up your hand and say, hey, everybody look at me, 
but so that you could reflect the glory of God into their life and they could honor him and maybe, maybe turn to him. And that's, that's the invitation this morning. You may not be fully ready to commit yourself. You may not be fully ready to give your life to the Lord today. Maybe you are, and if you are, please, you know, as we, as we stand and sing, get down here, and we'll take care of baptizing you into the Lord today, getting you started in that, but maybe you're not quite ready. I want you to really think about how much Jesus loved you, how much he loved you to be a complete failure in the society in which he lived, so that he could die, so that he could suffer at the hands of unrighteous men, so that you could be saved. And if he was willing to go through all of that for you, what will you be willing to do for him? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to follow him, and I hope you are too. If we can help you in your spiritual walk with the Lord to get you started on that today, or to pray for you in some way, please come as we stand and sing.